Well, uh, buckle up. This is going to be a big one. <laughs> um, man, I had such a wild, fucked up week last week. Jesus, it hasn't even been a week. Um, that I'm going to have to break all the the weeks event uh, the events of the week into two intros. Um, but I'm just going to talk about my Thursday last week. I'm going to talk about one day of the week. Um, as an intro into this podcast, um, woke up, uh, got up at seven and then ran and did a bunch of exercises with my friend, Ryan McKee, who lives in the little house in my backyard. Now I've known, I, I podcast with Ryan before, um, known him for almost 20 years now. And, uh, uh, he is, uh, he is in recovery. He quit drinking. Um, he's going through his first divorce and uh, like me, he is in his 40s and out of shape. So we have sort of, um, we're doing a, uh, we're both just on a kick together, sort of uh, supporting each other and trying to get, uh, trying to get our shit together, trying to get our heads together and our bodies together and all that. So um, we had our sort of inaugural uh, run and workout and it was tough, uh, tough, but fair. Um, it was, uh, it was good. So I went straight from that to uh, my chiropractor appointment and, uh, everything was actually went pretty well there. I, um, had a lot of problems with, uh, just my, my weird old body and then, um, but seemed to have straightened everything out and, you know, sort of had a good, uh, good session there. And then I came, oh, there was a thing with the time change. So I was like running late. So I scrambled back here to record the podcast you are listening to now with my buddy Rich Roll, and I will uh, I'll, I'll return and sort of do a full um, full in- introduction to that um, in a minute. Then I frantically did sort of my last minute prep for the moth. Um, I've been going to the moth for Jesus twelve years now, um, and ironically when i was in early sobriety and had no idea what to do with myself my friend ryan mckee who now lives um, in my backyard we were both living in new york at the time he urged me to go to the moth and then uh the moth storytelling slam uh, the, the moth story slams um became an integral part of my recovery of my reintegration to society um, and my return to, to writing, you know, the, my first Kindle single was, um, uh, I had, I had sort of been reminded that I was shipwrecked from telling this story at the moth and having it go over so successfully. So, um, after 10 years of going to moth story slams, the, or more, I, I guess, no, I guess it's actually 12, the, um, over 10 years, but, um, I finally, uh, finally won one and one, I, I won a story slam and then made progress to the next level to the grand slam right here in Phoenix. So the, the winner's circle, um, which is weird. I've, I've gotten like second place so many times. Um, so it was a big deal. And I was like, sort of trying to dial my story in a story about, uh, my nephew and I, blowing up a 1972 Chevy pickup in the middle of the desert a couple of years ago and then sort of just barely getting through. Um, And then I had misread the production email and my friend Chris Royer texted me 
to be like, hey, I'm running late. Can you let them know? And I was like, running late? It's only like, you know, 540. And then I went back and reread the email saying that we were supposed to be there at 530. I was like, fuck. So I threw, uh, threw some clothes on, hopped in my car, um, and immediately got into a serious car accident like a mile from my house. Not even a mile. I mean, like fucking right around the corner. I, um, I was in my little uh, 2005 Honda Element and headed down Grand Avenue. And a woman blew through a stop sign right in front of me, and I couldn't stop in time. And I T-boned her hard. Um, and I still, I'm still sort of processing all of it mentally. I mean, there's, you know, you know, I drive virtually every day. I've driven, you know, hundreds of thousands of miles by this point. I did 65,000 miles in one year once. And uh, had, you know, like minor fender benders in New York and stuff like that. Two in one day, actually. But um, but never been in a serious accident in my life, which is kind of wild considering the vehicles that I drive. Um, but the she just she timed it at just the the best and worst time where there was, you know, I hit the brakes, but there was no way that I could avoid her. Um, and I tried to go to the I actually tried to go to the left to get around her. And then but that was the direction that she was headed. So I just I, I hit I nailed her um, incredibly hard and. I'm still really mentally processing it. There's just that moment of 100% panic where you're like, fuck, this is it. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to hit this, I'm going to hit this person incredibly hard and, uh, super scary, scary just thinking about it now. And, um, I just, I hit her and, both airbags went off immediately. If you've ever been in an accident where the airbags go off, they just explode in your face. And instantly the car was filled with sort of this acrid smoke, which I think was from the airbags and also from the the engine. Um, immediately I was like, I need to get out of the car, you know, in case I get hit again or the car blows up or something like that. Um, but the door was jammed, so I kicked the door open, got out. Um, I ran over to the other, the driver's side door of the other vehicle uh, to get the other, to get the the driver out of out of there. And her door was um, jammed shut, so I went around to the passenger side and helped her get out. Got her over safely to the other side of the street, and then I went back to my car. Um, and I was actually, you know, the front was all crumpled in. It's going to be a total loss. Um, the front was all crumpled in, but I drove it over to the other side, uh, to the side of the road just to get it out of the way so that we weren't blocking the entire, you know, sort of four lanes of traffic. And, uh, I'm just like sat and waited for the cops to get there. Um, you know, I checked on her to make sure she was okay. The worst thing about it, it was an Asian woman and it's like the, God damn it. I just, I just ran into a stereotype. I, I, I hate reinforcing uh, the stereotype as uh, Asians and women as poor drivers. The, but God damn it, here we are. Um, but, uh, you know, I just made sure she was okay. Her son lived right around the corner, so he got there quickly to sort of to look after her. Waited for the cops to show up. They, um, 
wanted to know if I wanted to go to the ER, um, but I couldn't because I had to get to the moth. So um, then I got to the moth, and um, of course, my name had been drawn first, so I had to go get up first to tell my story about <laughs> about blowing up a car in the middle of the desert after I just destroyed another vehicle. And it's like, the anybody want to ride home with me after this? Like It makes me seem like a, a, a horribly unreliable uh car person but man it's i don't know if it's it's a trip to have to get up in front of people to perform in the first place um this was a you know a night at herberger theater a big old theater in phoenix and i'd have been building up to for you know an incredibly long period of time and then to do it just after you know having sort of stared into the void and confronted my own mortality fucking it, it blew uh but I got through it. I did a good job getting drawn first. I knew I wasn't going to win, um, so it was sort of like the pressure was taken off. It's a, it's incredibly hard to win moth events when you go up first because people sort of hold stuff back. The um, the guy I don't like, the local dude uh, who's a ham, um, he didn't win, and that made me feel really good because I didn't want him to win. Um, but. Uh, just a weird, stressful night. I had, a, you know, I had a bunch of friends there. My mom was there. My mom came and gave me a hug. And then, and since then, I've just sort of been, you know, playing it over and over again in my mind. The, it was the other woman's fault. She got a citation. I didn't. I'm waiting to hear back from the insurance company. Um, it looks like they're going to cover the cost of my vehicle. Um, I went to the doctor and there's, you know, I have like bruising on my hips and my shoulder where the lap belt caught me. Um, and I have whiplash. I have like tingling in my fingertips that wasn't there before. Um, you know, it's hard. To <laughs> it's hard to distinguish the accident soreness from just the 46 year old soreness. But there's definitely my neck and back are not are not what they were when I left the chiropractor that morning. Um, I was actually feeling good again. And, uh, but as one does, I just sort of like keep running the numbers, keep recalculating that, um, that experience of being in the car accident. Like, was I, was I unlucky to, um, to get in a car accident on the way to the moth? Or was I actually incredibly lucky because it sucked to be in a car accident. It sucked to sort of, um, I mean, it, call it what it is. It's trauma. It sucked. Um, it definitely scared me, scared the shit out of me to, uh, to, to get in an accident, to hit another car that hard. And then, you know, the aftermath of like, am I okay? Is the other driver okay? Um, but... Uh, I'd actually bought a new, a new, <laughs> one year less old uh, Honda Element um, that I've been working on with my uh, my buddy Oscar for a while, and I happened I was waiting for two exhaust flange bolts to be delivered. And that was the only thing that was that's the only reason I wasn't driving the new car is because I was waiting for those bolts to be delivered so I could get the new one back on the road. Um, so I ended up destroying the car that I was selling anyway. Um, I I had thought about 
driving my old truck, my 1969 Ford F-250. Uh, if I'd been driving that truck and hit that woman as hard as I did, she would be dead and I would be in the hospital. Um, usually when I when I drive around town and I'm running errands, I, I take Sadie with me. I take her everywhere with me where I can. Um, if Sadie had been in the car with me, you know, to be in an accident that that bad, it might have killed her, you know, um, or it might have, it, it definitely would have injured her. Um, so, it, you know, just one of those experiences where, one of those experiences where now it's like everything in my life has this rosy glow of like, hey, I'm not dead. Uh, man, it's fucking great being not dead. Um, you know, it, it was... It was gratifying to get to do the moth, to have, like, so many friends there and, you know, have my mom there <laughs> and ironic and, and funny and cool to have Ryan there when he was the one who encouraged me to go, you know, such a long time ago. But, yeah, what a fucking day. Um, anyway, one of the other things that I did that day was to record probably what is the best, biggest podcast I've done so far. Uh, with my old friend Rich Roll. Um, if you know me, uh, you probably know him as well. Uh, a lot of people sort of discovered me through my my friendship with him, through my relationship with him. The he, Jesus, we've I've been on his podcast seven or eight times. Uh, one of the reasons that I have a podcast is because of his podcast, because of the encouragement that he's shown me to. Uh, you know, to, to sort of head out on my own and do my own podcast. Um, I, I will always remember the first time I met him, you know, when he came out to my apartment in Brooklyn. And, you know, we talk about that a little bit on the podcast. But one of the things that I, you know, I really remember about him is that that was one of the first times that I had, um, I had somebody, I had somebody really sort of corner me in detail about my sobriety and ask me, um, go beyond just the, you know, polite questions of, oh, congratulations and, you know, we're happy for you, but really to ask me sort of specific pointed questions about my drinking, my recovery, my sobriety. And, um, and it was a watershed moment for Rich too. That was the first time on his podcast that he spoke about his own alcoholism and addiction and recovery and, you know, from that sort of pivotal moment, uh, he went on to have a ton of people uh, come on the show to talk about uh, to talk about recovery and alcoholism and addiction, and um, and I think he became a lot more open about what his life had been like, you know, what his life is like now, and his his struggles. Um, since that day. Man, our uh, our friendship has evolved a lot, and we've sort of taken different paths. You know, the Rich has really with his podcast; it's fucking massive. Um, you know, it's it's wildly popular. There's a huge listenership. He's reached tons of people. He's transformed thousands and thousands of lives, of which mine is one. Um, He's had some incredible guests. You know, the his conversation with Terry Crews, I thought was just, I, I just found it incredibly helpful. 
and his conversation with Paul Conti made me go out and, and buy his book. Um, you know, the conversations about trauma. Um, I, I went a different direction, you know, I sort of, uh, you know, went back to my dirtbag roots and prioritized my music and my touring and, uh, you know, my relationships with, with my friends, you know, um, my, and some of whom are my drug buddies and we, so yeah, we've sort of really taken different paths, but our friendship has never flagged. Uh, he's rich is a, a friend, an entity, um, a series of connected thoughts that I sort of carry with me everywhere I go. I, uh, I always, you know, I often think, you know, what would rich do? Um, he's the, you know, he's the reason that I was vegetarian for five years. Um, he's been, I don't know. He's he's been such a good influence on me. He's he, he's he's really just helped me in so many ways just by um but by existing and by being friends with me. Um he's also done a, a a thing or two on his own. Um he did a remarkable five uh five ironmans in 6 days um through Hawaii. He's a best-selling author. Uh he's published several books. He Obviously, the podcast is, you know, it's just a, a massive endeavor. But um, this episode was a long time coming because I wanted to get a year of sort of solid guests down before before I had Rich on because um, in so many ways, Rich is really source material. You know, he was he was the inspiration for, uh, for this podcast and uh, this journey that I've taken. So... Thank you guys for uh, thank you guys for listening, for tuning in, for supporting. Please sign up for the Patreon. It's patreon.com slash Mishka Shivali. Uh, please subscribe to the podcast. Um, I, I feel proud of what I'm doing here, and I feel confident that even if you don't know who the guest is, uh, there's going to be a great conversation you're going to learn something from. But... Uh, here it is at long last, uh, the OG. This is my uh, my origin story. Here's my uh, my conversation with my good friend Rich Roll. Mishka Shivali is catching up with friends who are arguably more talented than him. I'm going to give you like a 10, 10 out of 10 on your, your zoom backdrop. <laughs> Dude, I get roasted for it every time. And every time it's the, it's, I mean, it's the next iteration of my fucking Brooklyn apartment. Right. Yeah. yeah. I was like, are you still in Greenpoint? Like it, just, it doesn't look, I, I can't remember. I mean, this is, epi- is this going to be episode 50? No, the I got I the, I, I, I got, that. I, well, I got the count wrong, so it's actually it's more than that. But mm. the but it's good because I wanted to get I wanted to get a year under my belt before I hit you up to come on. I didn't want it to be you know in the just in the first week or something like that. But but um, I was trying to remember when I first came to your apartment what episode number that was for me. I, I don't think it was fifty at that point. Like I think it was super early on. 
it's been a crazy trip dude um and it's i i mean i was just thinking about that when you know with like doing that podcast together and you had this backpack full of gear you had to walk like all the way the, <laughs> all the fucking way out to like the wilderness <laughs> and the and I, I think you had like a mixing board and a comp- computer and an external hard drive and we had uh you know handheld dynamic mics and i think we just sat on the floor and then mm-hmm. now like watching you guys set up and seeing like you got jason you know doing um doing sort of like production for you and the you have like a professional backdrop and we both have like professional mics now and stuff the it's uh when i think about the journey that not just your journey but the journey that your podcast has taken it's it's fucking insane dude yeah it's it's been wild i mean now yeah like when i came i remember uh getting off the subway in brooklyn and and schlepping with a briefcase full of gear including you know we they didn't have those like little zoom digital recorders like i had a full like mixing board soundboard that i didn't really know how to use that weighed like 30 pounds (laughs) plus all this other shit and like your apartment was not close to the subway station Uh, you know and then and and then that like walk up you know the walk upstairs and the guitars littered everywhere and like your weird weird roommate and like the whole thing and like now it is true. I mean, however many years later, that must have been like nine years ago, eight years ago, it, yeah. probably nine, nine. And yeah, I'm in this incredible studio. I mean, I don't just have Jason. I've got, you know, I've got Dan, I've got Blake, I've got a whole bunch of people that work here now. Um, and it's been, you know, a mind blowing journey that I could have never imagined for myself or nor predicted. Um, there's, you know, there's a lot of luck involved. Like if, if I, if I made one good decision, it was, uh, being at the right place at the right time and having some kind of awareness or recognition that this was a medium that was going to grow. And, uh, that if I stayed in it, um, that, you know, I would, uh, that, that like, you know, there would be some kind of, you know, growth that would occur as a result of that. Like I did, I did kind of understand that. Um, but, the difference between, you know, starting a podcast in 2012 and being very consistent over many, many years is different from trying to start a podcast now in a, in a much more crowded marketplace. Uh, I, I don't, you know, I, I don't know that, you know, it would have been possible for me to kind of do what I've been able to do had I start, had I started later. You encouraged me early and often to, to uh, get on board the train and uh, me being me, I dragged my feet and now I feel like I started too late where it's just, it's where everybody and their dog has a podcast and it's so hard to, uh, to, to differentiate, to get your voice, you know, to, to get eyes on sort of, or eyes or ears or whatever on, on what you're doing. But the, but, you know, in true rich role fashion, I, I don't think that you're giving yourself enough credit. I mean, I think that you had to have the self-awareness to recognize that that you had something to, to contribute, that you had something of value, and that um, not just that your experience was something that would translate so well to this medium, but that but the, that you had the the intellect and the intuition to to curate guests the way that you have. And um I don't know. 
it's it's awesome and the you know whenever i it's so funny because when i was preparing for this like the you know you and i don't stay in in regular contact and i was so i was like excited to just catch up with my friend and like mm -hmm. talk and shoot the shit and like find out how the family's doing and like the um and but then also i was thinking you know i was sort of doing sort of production questions in my head of all the different things you know that i wanted to ask you about uh, about this trip that you've taken and and I was I, made, I fucking made myself nervous, dude. The, dude, that's ridiculous. I know, I know. It's the, <laughs> but it's I think it's the difference of the difference between me like coming to crash at your house and you coming to crash at my house. Like when I come to mm -hmm. crash at your place, I'm like, all right, cool. The and then if you were coming here, I would be like, is is he into sheets? Like is that is that, <laughs> is that a thing that a, he does? Do you have Do you have a backyard? I I have I actually have a guest room in the backyard, which is a, a 1972 Airstream trailer that I bought from this uh, family of they look like coyotes, just the you know sort of like uh, eight very hungry looking people, and I think they made knives and like jewelry to sell at craft fairs, and they raised their entire family in this trailer. So wow. the the next time you're in Phoenix, yeah, you gotta come and camp out in my backyard. All right. Yeah, grizzled desert people. Yes, the and there is there's actually a black and white photograph that they left up in the trailer, and I was like, well, that's that's got to stay there, you know, because mm. that's important. yeah, that's cool. Yeah, that's cool. Um, yeah, I know. You know, I think you know we've been friends for a long time, um, and you know, I love you, I love you dearly, and I appreciate the kind words uh, about the podcast. But I, when I reflect back on the whole experience, to me. It, it, it's really, you know, uh, uh, if if anything, like I, I don't think that I, you know, have any kind of like particular standout talent. But if I had to identify like a strength, it would just be my ability to kind of grind and be consistent. You know, I think that that is a huge factor in kind of how this thing grew gradually over time. Like it didn't have any, you know, crazy huge spikes it was really just an organic thing that kind of expanded very gradually uh you know each 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 and every every week and so uh you know on top of that just being able to kind of learn how to do it when the stakes were very low when nobody was listening to podcasts and you could kind of you know, be imperfect and, and kind of get better at learning how to listen to people and learning how to, you know, ask questions and learning how to figure out how to get interesting people onto your show. Uh, and now, like, there's a whole thing around like, well, how are you going to launch your podcast? And here's all these strategies and tips. And, you know, this is how you have to do it. It's, it's, it's very much, you know, the, the space has matured so much and there was a certain like kind of like innocence and naivete when I when I started that I think allowed me to kind of get better in in the public eye, but in the public eye in a way in which there were very few eyeballs, you know, or 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 earbuds, you know, on what I was doing so that by the time the technology matured and it became a little bit more seamless and more and more people were realizing what I did realize early on, which was like how amazing this medium is, uh, I had kind of, you know, gotten better and developed enough of an audience to kind of take advantage of, of that. We, we may stretch this, uh, this disagreement over the entire duration of the podcast, too, because I, um, I feel strongly that you do have 
you do have a gift that you do have something there is something essential about you that um that it's not just practice and it's not just hard work and it's not just consistency the one of the things that's i think that's maddening about our modern existence is we're just sort of constantly bathed in content you know i remember first moving to new york in the late 90s and my friends and i would just read any book that we came across anything that was at the strand any new thing that came out the you know i worked at this place called the radio foundation whenever promo copies would come in i would just read every single one of them and then now it's um nadia boltz weber who i met through you who's fucking awesome she's mm-hmm. just like a hurricane um, I have a copy of her book that I've had since November and the, I keep looking at it and, and not getting to it. And um, you're in a position where you're just sort of bathed in this constant waterfall of content, but you have the intellect to, to hold all that in your head. Um, and, you know, listening to the podcast, I'm like, God damn it. This motherfucker knows something about this too. Or, or like <laughs> Jesus, you read that book too? Like the um you have um you know, you're incredibly smart and and you're you're able to sort of hold it all in your head. The so I guess my question for you is how how the fuck do you do that, Rich? Like how do you how do you keep all that um this, this cloud of knowledge that sort of follows you everywhere? Uh, you know, I think it's a bit of a parlor trick because there, there, there is so much prep that goes into, uh, you know, each, each guest that I host on the show. And so it is a situation in which there's just an endless amount of homework. Um, I would agree with you that we're in a culture now where it's just an endless stream of, of content, most of, most of which is ephemera and is distracting. And so if, if there's anything that I try to do, it's try to find the signal in the noise because now... You know, it used to be, you know, a situation where it was beg, borrow and steal to try to convince people to come on the show. And now because of the audience size, you know, I'm getting pitched, you know, all day long. I get like at least 20 pitches a day and I'm on the the list of all of these publicists and, you know, book publishers who, you know, send me emails every single day about the next book that's coming out. And it's, it is, it is true. Like there's so much out there and it's challenging to, to not, um, become very cynical, at least in the, in the kind of self-help space, because there's a new book every week you know, coming out and you're like, really another one. Uh, and so I, you know, I have, uh, it, it, it does become a situation in which, you're like, what's real? What's important? And I've learned to kind of trust my instincts and my intuition around these things. And, you know, if there is one thing that I think I've been pretty good about, it's like the picker. Like, you know, the, a lot of people with large shows have bookers. You know, they book the show. Like, I can't imagine that because for me, it has to be somebody who genuinely piques my curiosity. Um, and I don't, you know, take that responsibility lightly. Like when it's very rare that, that I book somebody off a pitch. It's somebody that I come across in some other way where I was like, wow, that person, like I want to learn more about them, whether they have a book or not. Oftentimes they do have a book and, and, you know, kind of the book publishing world 
affords me the opportunity to sit down with people that perhaps ordinarily, you know, I wouldn't be able to because they're making themselves available for publicity. Uh, and I do, you know, read all the books to the best of my ability. So I put a lot of time into, into each conversation so that I can kind of acquit myself, you know, at least somewhat respectfully as, as having some kind of foundational basis for, for, you know, having a, a, an interesting conversation with them. But it's not like I just walk around with this knowledge in my head all the time. Like I'm learning, you know, as I, as I go. So like next week I have two people coming on. They both have books. I haven't read those books yet. I'm going to have to read those books between now and Monday. So it's always kind of like hanging over your, over your head a little bit, which can be daunting. And I have come pretty close to burning out a couple times, uh, which is why, you know, I've invested in having a team around me to help me out, which has really saved my ass and, and, you know, has allowed me to, and, and I take a, a month off every year and that's allowed me to kind of stay engaged and, and excited about what I'm doing because after 10 years, it's sort of like, it would be very easy to just get bored or feel like you need to do something else. And that's not the kind of energy that I want to bring to the conversations that I'm having. I want to be excited. I want to be, you know, like really curious and intrigued and, and, and to do that, like you have to build in some, you know, kind of protective self-care. Otherwise it just becomes, you know, uh, a ticking clock until you implode. Yeah. I, I think too, that there's, you know, I was listening to your podcast with Rick Rubin uh, last night and the mostly what he's done, his skill is recognition and curation, you know, that he's in many ways, he's an editor. He's a, he's a selector and his skill has been to, to recognize the value of things or the potential of things, you know, it's, um, and it's funny that, um, uh, that his book's called the creative act because the, I, I would argue that recognition is different. It you know you're you're sort of being a doula to creativity, but not not necessarily creating the thing yourself. But I but I do think that I I think that you have that skill of uh, recognition and uh, click to expand. You know, expositing things in a meaningful manner. That you really have created this. I uh, you know this massive body of work. Um, have you relaxed a little bit about your, with your hangups about being a writer? Finally. <laughs> that's a, that's a very kind of like timely question. You know, I will say, uh, you know, on the subject of Rick Rubin, um, I don't know if you've read his book, the creative act yet. Have you read that? I haven't, but it, I mean, it seems fascinating. He's, yeah, yeah, he's, he's so gifted and, um, just such an interesting, he is, he's such an interesting intellect to think about him moving through mm -hmm. the world and how, you know, I mean, it would be a great like SNL skit of like, you know, Rick Rubin, like eating breakfast or something and like his conversation <laughs> with the, you know, well, what if we did it without raisins, you know? <laughs> 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 that's that's very funny. That actually would be a very good skit. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I read his book. Uh, I, I, I had the, you know, fortune to be able to read it, you know, you know, many months before it came out. It, it And it was co-written by my friend Neil Strauss, 
um, who, who, you know, I speak to every week and had kind of been sharing behind the scenes about the process of putting that book together. So I was super excited to read it. And that book really moved me and it did kind of shake things up for me in terms of my resistance around writing. And then there was like this confluence of events. So I read that book, I was able to sit down with Rick Rubin. And then I had, conver you know, conversations on the podcast with Stephen Pressfield, uh, you know, Seth Godin, and, uh, and, uh, and, and those, those people really kind of like helped me get over some of the blocks that I've had about getting invested in a new book. And, and I'm happy to report that, you know, I've made some progress. I think I have a pretty good sense of what this next book uh, is going to be for me. And I've been able to, you know, work on it pretty consistently over the last couple months, which which feels really good. It's I mean, it's fucking awful. Let's, you know, <laughs> be honest, like writing is the worst. Uh, but it's also something that feels really good because I know it's what I'm supposed to be doing and to have a little bit of momentum behind it um, uh, feels feels right like I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing and you know the joke that I always tell on the podcast is is that you know this this podcast like I'm in this studio I've got all these people working here I've been doing this for 10 years this is like the greatest uh, you know, distraction that I've created for myself to avoid writing <laughs> that, that I could possibly imagine, right? Because I can always justify not writing because I do this other thing uh, that occupies, you know, a huge amount of my time. But I've been able, because, you know, I've got this team around me that supports me and, 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 and they do such a great job that, that uh, you know, has freed up some extra bandwidth that I finally got my shit together and, and been able to kind of, uh, uh, you know, mobilize myself to sit down in the chair again. There, much has been written about um, alcoholism and addiction as a disease of loneliness. And it's, I, I marvel at the lengths that I will go to, to avoid writing. And I think it's because I've never felt so alone in my life as I feel when I sit down at the computer and look at the blank page. And that really is just reckoning with yourself in the most hardcore elemental fashion. And it, yeah, it fucking sucks. Yeah, it does. <laughs> yeah. The, um, How are you? Where are you with that? Where are you with that right now? Man, I don't know. I mean, I, you know, there was, but you know, when I was sort of, when I had sort of like, number one Kindle single after number one Kindle single. And you were so kind and so gracious to have me on the podcast so many times. And the, and it seemed like there was potential there for me to uh, launch my brand or build my brand or, you know, move more into the uh, running health, self-help recovery realm. Uh, I turned left and I did the, the other thing, you know, where I, I think I, I self-consciously wanted to like sort of return to my dirtbag roots. And also um, I wanted to just be a guy, uh, you know, I, I didn't want to be a brand or a commodity. I wanted to just, um, you know, get up in the morning and put my shoes on and go to the store and get bread or, you know, or whatever, or have a, have a normal life. And in some ways I think that that was the right choice. And also, um, there have been many times where I'm like, man, I fucking blew it. And 
in terms of writing now, I feel I, I absolutely feel jammed up. Um, you know, there are two stories that I, I, I feel I have to tell and both of them are just so unremittingly dark. I, I, you know, I don't, I mean, I'm granted my fans have a taste for grief and depression and the bleak, but, um, but it's just, you know, it's just, you know, really unpleasant stuff. And Mm -hmm. I have a record that I'm I'm committed to finishing. Um, Mark Lanigan was supposed to produce it, and it was something that I wrote out of an incredibly dark time uh, during COVID. Um, so I feel like I got to get that off my plate. And then I don't know. I you know I pitched um, you know I pitched a book about uh, my fuck it we'll call it what it is my ketamine addiction to Bird. And, uh, and you know, bird, you know, Mm -hmm. he's such a great dude and he's sort of our greatest champion and he's a wonderful friend. And he said so many nice things to me before he said, this book will be really, really tough to sell. Mm -hmm. And, and, uh, and it sucks And it. Um, but, but that's why he got that job. And that's why he has that job is because he is the guy who will tell you this isn't going to work, you know? Yeah. Well, Um, I, a couple a couple insights if i may jump in yeah yeah so so as you know you know from early on uh, you know i've been somebody who's been kind of trying to urge and push you into writing more i think you're an incredibly gifted writer uh, and the world is a better place when you're putting your writing out in the world and sharing it and there was a there was kind of an inflection point where uh, you you know were, were kind of positioned to to write more, and you did make this decision like I'm going to go tour and I'm going to go you know basically spend most of my time uh, you know driving around America in a shitty van and and playing dive bars instead of you know maybe that's your version of me with the podcast like a distraction from writing, but at the same time like you have to live your you have to have experiences you have to live your life in order to have something to say in written form. Um, but I do remain steadfast in believing that, you know, you should you should be writing and you should be writing all the time. And I think that you have, you know, an incredible gift and facility for it. And you have, you know, gone through some pretty heavy shit in your life. And I think your perspective on that is valuable and worthy and that brings up the conversation the other insight being like you know the the tension between art and commerce like yes you know bird may tell you this is a this is a tough sell uh you know he is for people that don't know he's a a literary agent at uta that that you know that that mishka and i share and you know he's now like his career has evolved since we began working with him and now he's doing huge books and it's all about you know like what's going to what's going to make a huge impact on the marketplace um and you know mishka you're an acquired taste like maybe it's not you know <laughs> that kind of thing but you know i think there is there is um something that you have you know within by mining that dark space there's the, the, you have the ability to create something beautiful, like in the same way that someone like Jerry Stahl or, or Chuck Palahniuk can do, like they, they mine the dark side and they create works of art uh, 
they found a way to, you know, penetrate mainstream culture with their, you know, sort of storytelling facility. And I see you as somebody, you know, with that with that same capacity. Like, yes, there's a lot of darkness, but how do you tell those stories and and you know really kind of mine the depths of your you know emotional being and translate that into something that that is connective tissue for people you know out in the world like you know there's a community of people that love what you do um i think that community could could be larger and you know you do have the ability to uh, you know to do that and i think that you know i've always told you that that should be your focus and your priority and and for some reason you keep deciding to run away and and you know do these other things and i get frustrated cuz i'm like you probably have frustrations with choices that i've made but like i see i'm like dude you know don't be afraid of that like you're like you know you don't have to stay you know, small, like there is a world out there that loves what you do and just keep doing, keep doing it, you know, keep, keep, keep putting stuff out there. Rich, the, you have such a big, you know, presence in my mind and in my life in so many ways. And the, um, and, and also specifically in this podcast where the, I'm very aware that I'm, I, what I want to do is a version of, uh, um, you know, a different version of what you do. And one of the things that you did to me during our very first podcast, which now I have taken, and I try to sort of subject every guest to it, is mm. you sort of just pin me down and uh, subjected me to a, a, a stream of compliments one after another and made me deeply uncomfortable, just <laughs> incredibly uncomfortable. And I was going into this conversation, I was like, I am just going to out of the gate, I'm going to tell Rich all the true things that he needs to hear that are compliments <laughs> because and because he's an alcoholic, it will make him so fucking uncomfortable. Yeah, totally. And I felt I felt like I was doing pretty good. And then you rallied and you came back at me and like, you're still the master that I, I just I like I feel a cold chill, the cold chill of recognition that you're speaking the truth, you know, that writing is, you know, we always talk about running as like an everyday miracle that um, and through running, I can finally understand what people are talking about when they talk about God, that running is always there for us. It surrounds us. It's there whenever we need it. And I've never gone out for a run and been like, Oh, I wish I hadn't have done that. You know, it's, there's all, there's always some kind of magic there. And the same is true about writing. Writing makes us better people. I'm a better person when I'm writing something and when it's going well and I feel good about it. And the it's, and it's so, um, I care about you tremendously. I know you subject yourself to an incredible amount of pressure. You take on so much work and the, and particularly all the stuff you've been doing with the podcast lately. It's such, I mean, it's such high wire work, such high caliber guests um, across the spectrum, the conversation you had with the philosopher I, and hearing you um, go back and forth with him, I was like, this is like, this is like, you know, uh, fucking Jordan playing baseball, like, Jesus, you're good at this too, you know, the, um, and, you, you know, so I, I care about you, I don't want you to be to feel anxiety, to have discomfort and seeing the look on your face, this sort of like beatific 
grin the that I'm writing again and it's going well. It's such it's such a magical thing, you know, to have it to have it to have the words come. I don't know if I would say it's going well. I would say it's going. <laughs> there we go let's with be, the alcohol. Let's be clear. The, okay, let's tamp down on this. Let's do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It is true. I mean, one thing we share is like that 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 deep discomfort with anyone, you know, reflecting any any kind of kindness back at us. Like it just oh, makes yeah. me so uneasy. And I had a very extreme example of that the other day. <laughs> the other day, Michigan. Like I've been practicing just receiving that and saying thank you. It's so hard, so hard. right? Like because <laughs> I'm a piece of shit. You know, <laughs> like 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 don't you know, right? And so I had this opportunity, this incredible opportunity, the other day to do the podcast with with senator cory booker who came oh my god yeah like we did two hours together he was unbelievable he's like you know i mean just like you know it was great he's fantastic and at the end i'm like okay you know i just i just want to acknowledge you you know for your service and the example that you said and the way you kind of navigate the world and he like interrupts me and then goes on this like you know jag about like how much the podcast means to him and I can't, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm not lying to you, Mishka, when I tell you I've never been more uncomfortable in my entire life, you know, like he wouldn't let me say anything nice about him. And he's like trying to say, it's just like, what is that? You know, why can't you just be like, like, are you, are you envious of people who can just receive that and say, yeah, I deserve that or thank you? I, I mean, I just look at them as freaks. I, I really, it, when somebody can just take a compliment, I'm like, what is fucking broken in you that you can just accept a compliment that it doesn't make your skin crawl? <laughs> like, the, you need to get a healthy dose of some self-loathing. Like, the, what you right. bottle, bottle that in a supplement form. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the, I, uh, I got a, I had a similar moment. I got a profound compliment from a friend of mine. Uh, I podcasted with her, Kristen Becker, and she's uh, she started a program in Provincetown called Summer of Sass, um, where she's taking uh, gay, lesbian, trans kids um, from 18 to 20. And it's sort of a finishing school of trying to help them um, be themselves, to be surrounded by a positive queer community and see queer people being successful and being happy and the um and just you know sort of life skills and uh she said to me she was like mishka i'm so loath to give any credit to a straight white man for any of this shit but you said something years ago about you know the what's what's most important I'm going to, I'm going to paraphrase myself poorly here, but something about along the lines of the, what, you know, minority folks, people of color, queer folks need to, um, to realize is that the most um, revolutionary transformative thing that they can do is to, is to take care of themselves, to be happy mm. and to be healthy, you know, in the world. And I just about started crying, dude, you know, the, because I, I remember that conversation and we never know who we're going to help with this stuff. You know, the, like when it's going to take root with somebody. Um, mm -hmm. And when it does, it's such a great feeling. Mm, that's really cool. That's beautiful. Yeah. It's the, I had to go out and sort of like, 
roll around in the dust under my car to get that to get <laughs> to get that clean off to get the dirt back on you know? right. <laughs> um, let that transmission drop to the ground yeah yeah exactly I had to had to restore myself but um will is there an end to the podcast do you see the um do you have a vision of like when and where it will complete or is this the is the podcast in fact your life's work you know i mean conversations can be can absolutely be transformative this is work it is procrastination but it's also work mhm mm yeah i mean i don't i don't have a, a you know a vision for some kind of endpoint or sense of it you know being complete um you know, I will continue to do it as long as I remain inspired by it and enthusiastic about it. Certainly, you know, a day will come when, you know, I just don't want to do it anymore. Like there's nothing that's permanent. And, you know, like yourself, Mishka, everything, you know, kind of everything that I do in turn that, 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 that kind of brings money and that supports my family is a result of like my direct efforts. Like I don't have passive income really like it's all you know week to week um i so i have put some thought into like how can i uh you know it, it, given the fact that at some point you know i don't want to do this anymore you know how will i continue to kind of earn for my family um you know whether that's through producing other people's podcasts or you know creating some kind of uh entity that lives and breathes outside of my name is something I've started to put some thought into. Um, so yeah, it's not going to go on forever. And in terms of it being my life work, I don't know. That's not, I don't know that that's for me to say, certainly, you know, this show, uh, you know, reaches more people every week than my books do or will ever do right which is another rationalization against writing because you know <laughs> i can get on the microphone and put a podcast out that will you know within days reach way more people than a book that i basically pull all my hair out over two years will will reach but i think there is something about books that are that's different there's a permanence there's kind of a legacy aspect to that there's a there's an enduring quality to writing a book that is very different from the ephemera of, you know, content that we share digitally, even though, you know, the back catalog of this podcast is very active. Like everything that I put out, I try to make evergreen for the most part, with the exception of certain shows that are kind of like, you know, of the moment and, and topically oriented, uh, you know, the heart and soul of the, of the show are conversations that, 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 you know, I'm intending to be able that I'm intending are as valuable, you know, years from now as they are when they, when they're, when they're, when they're released. And yet just by dint of the way we interact with the internet, we're just focused on what the new thing is. Like it's, you know, it's like, it's like, oh, that thing that you put out two years ago, like that's relevant, you know, like it's hard to convince somebody that that's still worthy of somebody's time and attention. But we do get a lot of downloads and activity on our back catalog, which is, which is very gratifying. And, and, you know, in some ways you, it's, it is fair to say that perhaps this is my life's work. And if that's the truth, I'm, I'm pretty fucking happy about that. Like, you know, I don't know, you know, if there's a better, I just feel very fulfilled in what I'm doing and I feel good about the work that I'm putting out in the world. 
and it feels like uh, you know a privilege, and I have a lot of gratitude around it. And like everybody, you know, you want it to grow, or you know, why can't it reach more? Whatever, why can't I get this guest? Or you know, I get caught up in a bunch of bullshit like that. But the truth of the matter, Mishka, is that like if this is all that it is, like it's pretty fucking great. And you know, I just I'm, I feel very lucky and privileged to be able to do it. And so if lights go out tonight and I don't wake up tomorrow morning, in my mind, it's you know, it's a life. It's been a life well lived. I have to tell you that I feel I have this like searing chagrin that is stirred up uh, multiple times a year when I get messages from people who are like, um, I heard, you know, I heard you on Rich. I got one from a woman from South Africa the other day. I, I heard you on Rich Roll's podcast. The, you know, I love you guys, your conversation so much. They're profoundly affecting. They've changed my life. The, um, you know, when are you going to talk to Rich again? And I have to say, motherfuckers, you know, I have a podcast of my own where <laughs> I sometimes talk to other people, right? <laughs> and they have they have less than zero interest in my podcast. <laughs> the they just want you and I to talk mm. and uh, and needle each other and berate each other and rib each other. The um, so it's a you know it's a a mixed blessing there the i i I'll, I'll special shout out to uh to adam skolnick too that there have been so many times where i've been listening and you know listening to you guys uh shoot the shit and i'm like man and i think I, i've never met adam i think he's a great uh, i think he's a fantastic writer bird gave me a copy of his first book which i think is called breathe mm -hmm. um and which i really enjoyed i found it you know profoundly affecting and the and then when i hear you guys um you know hanging out on the podcast i'm like god damn it that should have been my job <laughs> that could have been me i fucking blew Maybe. it <laughs> Uh, we'll get you back on, dude. You know, you're, you're old school all the way. And I love, uh, you know, I love that, that, that people, uh, you know, continue to recognize you from, from the show. But the truth of the matter is your voice is so identifiable. It's so, I mean, it is just, you know, the, it, it's just made for, for, it's made for radio. It's so like you, when you hear your, your voice cuts through a room and when people hear it, they're like, <laughs> I know that guy, you know, like it's there's getting, nothing like it. It's getting worse too. I, I, um, I, I really think the ketamine did like lasting damage to my vocal cords. And mm. I was listening back to one of the podcasts the other day and I was like, I, I just sound like Bluto from Popeye. Like I, I sound like a cartoon of myself and the, and I'm only 46. Like I might have another, Oh God, like another 40 years. Can you imagine what I'm going to sound like then? <laughs> Just sound yeah, like but it's tugboat. like, you know, listen, you know, <laughs> listen, one of the reasons why we love Tom Waits is his voice. You got to lean into it. To me, yeah. you sound the same. That's good. That's, that's actually, that's really comforting. But we consider Jason was joking. He's like, Oh, it's Mishka. Like, let's go super lo-fi. Like, no good mic. Like, let's just make it as gravelly and as gritty and as like, you know, like, Dude. like as as possible. <laughs> What's funny is I um I have a hookup with Sennheiser and the um they've sent me like these amazing mics and I'm like, bro, have you listened to my voice? This is this is like trying to polish a turd. Like, are we trying to capture every just, uh, it, I mean, it sounds like somebody's backing over a walrus. 
<laughs> you should uh have you played around with like the ai tools that you put like put your voice into the ai and then it and then type in a bunch of stuff and it'll it'll like read it back in your voice i'm wondering whether technology the ai technology can accurately mimic the can, signature uh mishka tonality if i can break chat gpt that will be my life's greatest work <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he saved the world he broke the computer <laughs> the um one of the things that this podcast has ended up being about is uh, survival strategies, sort of how people have gotten through the last the last two years, um, the, um, the anxiety and dread and grief and loss of COVID, and then um, the social fracturing that we saw, um, you know, personally, publicly, in our private lives, and. Uh, Man, I you know I was thinking about this when I was showering this morning. I, I lost three people in one week. You know, mm. two suicides and one overdose. And the I don't think I lost anyone to COVID, but mm -hmm. because so so many of my friends are uh, drunks and druggies and the recovering, um, and and people you know who are suffering from um, from other mental illnesses, um, the isolation of COVID like really weighed hard on them. Um, how was it for you? How did you get by? Did you find your brain coming unwound? Mm -hmm. Or was that just me? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it, it, you know, I don't think anybody, you know, escaped, uh, you know, their brain sort of, you know, being melted by, you know, what we've kind of collectively weathered over the last couple of years. Um, I would say that that, you know, in, in the balance of things, I had an incredibly kind of privileged experience in that I didn't lose anybody close to me, um, although most people in my family got COVID, everybody got over it expeditiously. Uh, and I was able to, you know, pursue my work throughout that experience without kind of any, you know, real um, uh, interruptions or, or significant, uh, you know, setbacks. So uh, in the grand scheme of things, like, you know, I had, I had a very kind of like, you know, high level, uh, you know, ability to kind of navigate challenges that were much more difficult for a lot of people. So I just want to say that up front. Um, that being said, you know, I have four kids, two, two stepsons and, 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 uh, you know, Mathis and Jaya who are now 19 and 15. And I can't the experience, that. the experience of, of COVID was incredibly, you know, difficult for, for Mathis and Jaya, you know, Jaya kind of, um, experiencing, you know, puberty right at the beginning of lockdown and having the whole world kind of shudder. Yeah. Uh, and then Mathis being an incredibly social young person in high school and then not being able to see her friends or be in the world like it was devastating to them psychologically and socially. And we're still not out of the woods on the impact that that had on them. And so I have a lot of, you know, uh, emotions swirling around, you know, anger, frustration uh, about, you know, what they had to endure, which I think was, you know, the experience of most teenagers and young people all across the world. 
uh, and that was really that was really difficult and, and continues to be difficult. And then beyond that, um, just you know, kind of witnessing um, what is like the fractures that have occurred in in public discourse as a result of this, the loss of trust in institutions, uh, the loss of civility in public dialogue around ideas, the siloization of of everybody's um, information uh, sources that seems to be uh, driving us further apart and um, making us less and less capable of having good faith conversations about topics that are important, that really matter, uh, that impact lives, and, and how kind of social media and the intensity of the COVID experience seem to, uh, you know, bend people in strange directions uh, where uh, the cordiality of, of that discourse seemed to erode and the um, susceptibility to kind of bad ideas that, you know, percolated online. Like, I didn't lose friends to COVID, but I've lost friends due to, you know, kind of... Um, you know, certain types of brain viruses, I would say, yeah. uh, that, that infected them, that made it very difficult for me to interact with them. Yeah. The, my friend, Sari Beliak has a great joke about, you know, lo losing a, uh, uh, not losing anybody to, to COVID, but losing several people to QAnon, mm -hmm. you know, of just the, that they become absent in her life because it's, it's almost, it's virtually impossible to communicate with them. I saw, yeah. you know, sh shades of that with my father. Um, I mean, I think we saw a precursor to that with Trump, the, you know, that was sort of where I really began losing my dad again, where I was like, you're looking for a reason to be angry angry you're looking for a, a scapegoat and the you have a great life man you have nothing to complain about you know but he was um it was just this sort of um perpetually aggrieved and then um that came out in sort of um uh sort of covert racism and fury at um uh, you know that like democrats are ruining this country and I, and I had to be like, dad, you're fucking Canadian. Like you can't mm. even vote here. You, you don't have, you can't say you have skin in the game. If you never got your citizenship here and you don't fucking vote, you don't take part in the, the fundamental, uh, you know, civics of this country. So like the, just sit down and have another cappuccino in your, you know, your quaint little country home and fucking relax, dude. You know, the, but I, you know, I had a lot of COVID privilege too. The, I, I was thinking about this, that, um, you know, they say, oh, you're, you're not a New Yorker unless you've lived there for 10 years or, you know, in my circle of friends, it was like, you're, you know, the, were you there for 9-11 or not? You know, and that mm. was the difference that it made. And then I feel like COVID has erased my New Yorker status because I lived there for, 19 years and I was there for 9-11 but I wasn't there for COVID and the like refrigerated trucks full of fucking bodies on the streets and like just you know just that terror um and it's weird because it was you know it in some ways it was uh, a great bonding experience I have never 
I will say this in praise of, you know, humanity's spirit. I've never gotten or received more nudes in my entire fucking life. That was, <laughs> that was, I know, millions and millions of people okay. dead, but I saw... I saw so many boobs with so little effort. It was <laughs> fantastic. Go. It was like <laughs> the, you know, hope springs eternal. Um, well, it, I'm happy for you on that. I mean, I think, you know, <laughs> and thinking about your dad and, 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 you know, QAnon and, and certain conspiracy, you know, minded, you know, tropes that seem to percolate out and, and impact people and, and, you know, drive kind of confusing behavior. I can't help but think that that, was motivated in part by the fact that we were all, you know, locked down and isolated and our analog experience with other human beings was truncated tremendously, which drove us, you know, down the rabbit holes of whatever our screens were showing us um, without the ability to kind of, uh, you know, stress test those ideas with the people that we interact with in person, <laughs> you know, every yeah. day. Uh, and, uh, and I think, you know, as a result of this experience, as we emerge out of it, we kind of acclimated to the work from home thing. And, you know, now everything is zoom, you know, it's weird with the podcast cause I only do them in person, but every new guest that I try to book assumes it's a zoom thing, which wasn't the case before COVID. Like it was like podcasts you do in person, zoom would be the exception. Now zoom is the rule. And I think extrapolating on that idea, zoom is the rule in terms of how we interact with, you know, our fellow man, as opposed to let's go have lunch or, you know, whatever the case may be. So what is the impact of that long term? Uh, and what is the impact of that when it's fueled by algorithms that are becoming increasingly more and more sophisticated at understanding what seems to get you engaged and what direction, you know, is that kind of pushing, um, you know, humanity towards without necessarily our, our, our consent, you know, and I think that's a, you know, mm -hmm. these are big kind of existential questions about, you know, the future of not just public discourse, but, you know, how human beings interact with each other, um, to, to, you know, really deal with the very big problems that we're all collectively facing right now. And when you look at COVID and try to do kind of a forensic analysis of what went right and what went wrong as a test case for future crises, not just future pandemics, but future crises, I definitely worry about our ability to kind of come together as a collective to solve problems. Like no matter what, like if, you know, like if aliens, if a giant UFO landed on earth right now, like would we, we be able to kind of agree on how to you know, <laughs> interface with this or would it just become quickly a partisan issue that we're screaming at each other about? Like, you know, I don't know the answer to that, but I think it's, it's you know fair to say that that you know i'm not sure that we can find consensus right now and with the advent of all these ai tools and all that all that kind of stuff i don't know that we can really foresee we can't foresee the unforeseen you know applications and and outcomes of these technologies that we're foisting upon the world and i think that there are you know real real problems that um, we're going to be facing. It's getting really weird really fast. So let's let's keep going deeper into this the, because I think 
I think one of the things that we found with COVID is that our um, our intellects are poorly, you know, um, are are inadequate for uh, providing for seeking out and, and providing us with everything we need as human beings and as animals, as creatures. You know, the um, my uh, my cat can't speak; she can't tweet. Thank God. So the she will come up to me at three or four different times during the day and she'll like just sink her claws into my leg. And that and when she does that, I'm like, fuck, all right, maybe her food bowl's empty. So I'll go and check her food. And then okay, no, she's got food. Well, maybe she doesn't have water. Okay, well, no, she has water. The she just wants to be held. She'll come and just sink her claws into my leg because she just wants me to scoop her up in my arms. I have this. I have this toothbrush here that uh, um, when she comes and sinks her uh, claws into my leg, I'll scoop her up like a little baby and then I'll uh, brush her whiskers with that toothbrush. And she just goes into sort of a tonic immobility. She's totally blissed out. And then she's like, okay, for the rest of the day. And I think that, um, you know, as as human beings, there's something about uh handshakes and hugs and just the sort of casual um physical attention physical affection that we got before covid that we're not getting now you know mm. the um i'm friends with a lot of big dudes who like i don't see for long periods of time and then when i see them like they hug me and my fucking back cracks in places it hasn't cracked before and, and the and if i'm on the road touring with them i know where where their their backs not up where to put my elbow because their body is the same as my body you know um the and i feel like deprivation of that is one of the things that drove us insane but the one of the things that i think made me turn left when i did was i recognized that i was on a, a fucking attention bender you know, that with each new Kindle single that dropped, there would be an, a wave of new converts, read all the five-star reviews, read all the press, the fan mail and stuff like that, and get, get real fucking high. And then when it went away, I would just feel so hollow. Um, is that something that you struggle with? Uh, yeah, but yes and no. I mean, certainly, you know, the kind of ex extrinsic motivation and extrinsic validation, uh, you know, as, as, you know, as a fellow addict, it is, it can be intoxicating, right? Like you, you can, you know, fall prey to the, you know, cycle of, of likes and responses and, get really caught up in what people are saying about you and I'd be lying if I didn't say like there's a dopamine rush with all of that like oh some press came out and said something nice about me like certainly you know I'm a human being and I'm not immune to you know being <laughs> you know somebody who can get caught up in that but I also um, am pretty clear that that uh, I mean, I've done a lot of work on this, and 
you know, when I, at least with respect to the podcast, like when I put a show out, like, yes, I want it to be successful. I want people to like it. And I'm interested in whether people are responding to it positively. But at the same time, I'm pretty clear that my motivation is intrinsic. It really does come from my own curiosity and excitement to meet somebody and to hear what they have to say and to kind of then, you know, share that with the world. Uh, and that in and of itself is its own is its own gift. And I, I, I've come a long way. Like I used to get a lot more caught up in all that kind of stuff and competitive, et cetera. And now it's just like, did I feel good about that conversation? Do, you, do I think that that has value for people? Do I think that like people might benefit from that? Like the more I can inhabit just this, this sensibility of service about the whole thing, I, I get a lot more peace of mind and I'm actually more fulfilled and, and not caught up in the cycle of reviews and rankings and you know, all that other kind of nonsense that I, that I, that I can't control anyway. Right. Like, so I think having a healthy, you know, perspective on that has been important. And it's not surprising that, you know, you had like this, you know, you had like a, a pretty peak experience with all those Kindle singles and, you know, a lot of attention and, and kind of overwhelming praise for them. And then it creates this this barrier or this paralysis to writing something new, because what if it doesn't live up to that? Or what if it's not as good? Or the next time I sit down to write, uh, you know, it, well, it better be better than the last thing. Otherwise I'm a failure. Like you create all of this, pr these pressures on yourself. And ultimately it's not in service to you because you don't end up writing anything as a result. And I'm no different. Like I wrote Finding Ultra 10 years ago. I haven't written, you know, I put cookbooks out and these other kinds of books, but they're not like real books, right? And so I think part of the reason, a big part of that reason is, is, is that same thing, which is fear. Like, well, I wrote that book and it was successful, but like, do I really have anything else to say? Like, oh, I, you know, that was a fluke or, um, if I, if I do this again, like it's going to have to be better. And all that pressure does is prevent you from engaging with your creative voice. So back to like Rick Rubin's book, like that book really freed me up. Like, so the only way that I've been able to get over that and try to move forward is to let go of all those extrinsic factors, which again, we don't have control over, lower the bar, allow myself, give myself permission to not be good, to actually be bad. Like, let's be bad today. Let's write for five minutes and just make it the fucking worst. You know, like how, how low can you make the stakes just to get over your own ego and your own, um, you know, impediments or, or, you know, how can you overcome those fears that are really not your allies? So that's kind of like how I've been trying to deal with it. And then also, like, you know, with the podcast, like, I, you know, I'm at home, you've been to my house, I'm with my family, I come to the studio, we do the thing, and then I go home. So it's not like, you know, and I try, I try to not be, you know, extremely online on Twitter, I deleted everybody that I follow. So I don't have a timeline anymore. So I'm not really incentivized to go on Twitter and scroll and see what people are saying and, you know, get agitated or activated by, you know, arguments and opinions that have nothing to do with me and just focus on what I can control and what I can, can do and, and try to, again, you know, just to kind of finish this thought, inhabit that, that sensibility of spirit and that goes back to like 
recovery and AA and, you know, the 12 steps, like, you know, be of service. How can you be of service? Like the more, and it's like, it's not, it's not second nature to me. Like, you know, like I'm a selfish, self-seeking, you know, arrogant, you know, son of a bitch who can be irritable and irascible and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And that's, you know, I think we, you know, we have like, we see eye to eye on a lot of that kind of thing, but the more I can be like, no, like, how can you give, how can you con contribute? How can you enter this situation? Um, and, and, you know, walk away from it having contributed more than, you know, you extracted from it. And the more I'm able to do that, like the happier I am, the better the work is, the more productive I am. And, uh, and, and, and I don't get, you know, caught up in that cycle of, you know, kind of, um, comparison as, you know, that thief of joy. I, I will say that knowing you pretty well and you know sort of seeing how you move in the public realm um i don't think that you're in it for the attention i think um i think what really ignites you know a fire within you with the podcast is um the power of conversation of sitting down with another person talking about something that um that they know about that you don't and that you come in with a, a preconceived notion or um, something that you thought to be true or imagined to be true, and that the your highest moment is is being proven wrong, is those moments where you learn something, where you come to a greater understanding of, oh man, I never thought about it that way, or I never saw it that way. And knowing then that to be able to be, to be intellectually vulnerable like that, um, and to, you know, to be able to, to, to sort of change your opinion on the fly or say, oh, man, I'm going to have to think about that. Mm -hmm. the, I really think that that's, you know, that's what prevents you from burning out. That's what keeps you doing it, you know. Right. And, and you know, thank you for that. And like, yeah, I, I have people on who I want to learn from. You know, I'm not there to like, you know, tell them they're wrong or, you know, why I'm right or to prove to them that I'm smarter, smarter to them. I, you know, I'm, I have them sitting across from me because they have something that I don't. And I would like to, you know, experience their, their, their wisdom and perhaps grow as a result. And I, you know, I'm not holding on to some idea of, 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 of being right. Like I'm happy to be proven wrong. Like that's the whole point. I, on the point of uh, being proven right or wrong, I, I got to share with you uh, something that I think you were right about that I was wrong about the, the, you know, when we talked about service years and years ago for the first time, I was like, man, fucking alcoholics getting sober have such a hard road ahead of them already. And they're already, um, life has made them you know they're bitch you know your your body hurts your brain hurts that you hate your job you hate your car you hate where you live there's so many things like hard and going wrong in your life to, to put the burden on a on a newly sober alcoholic of service um it like gives them one more thing that they have to do and one more thing that they have to deal with and then the last couple of years I've been like getting down with service. And I think part of it was, you know, um, adopting this cat, you know, towards the end of her life and, 
then, you know, I, my cat has special needs and then my dog, you know, I got this puppy that had been bitten in the face and, um, I, my job is just to serve them and it's fucking awesome. It's so good. Nothing makes me happier than making them happy. You know, and I remember like at the, the nadir of my depression and my, you know, ketamine use where I was like, I know that I can't do anything for myself today, but I can make sure that my cat has a perfect day. I can make sure that my dog has a perfect day. And the, and I'm even trying to help people now, you know, we do, we do shows at my house, um, mm -hmm. you know, once a month or around that. And I, I'm, I really try to do provide touring artists with, a, uh, an environment to play where, where they get paid. I pay them out of my pocket. Um, you know, I get people there, they have a crowd, there's a, a good supportive crowd, a place to sleep the, you know, I do everything I can to make sure they have a good time. I've been trying to highlight the work of other artists, teaching, you know, you know, puts fucking wind in my sails, man. I love that. So, um, I don't know. I just want to tell you, you were right. And I was wrong. No, it's cool. I mean, it's, it, it wasn't my idea. You know, I think that, <laughs> that, that, uh, you know, alcoholics and addicts suffer from a very acute and particular form of self-obsession. Uh, and, and that, you know, they become entrenched in their own self-importance and the ruminations of, of their broken brains. And I think service is the antidote to that. Like it's a way to escape that um, level of self-obsession that, that, that keeps you stuck in, in a certain kind of rut and allows you to, you know, develop a, you know, a greater capacity for empathy. And in like giving of yourself to others, there is this, you know, uh, quite unexpected perhaps ironic sense of self-fulfillment that comes with that, like that is enriching, you know, in a way that is counterintuitive, at least to alcoholics and addicts who are, you know, basically experts at, at self-seeking and, you know, feeding their own, you know, kind of needs all the time and, and um, living in a world in which they think everything kind of orients around, you know, themselves and, and, you know, their particular emotions of the moment and to kind of break that illusion and get people to step outside of their own cocoons um, is a way of, uh, you know, helping them realize that there's a greater world out there and that, and that, you know, true purpose and fulfillment comes in the giving, not in the seeking, you know, to, to, you know, kind of, um, uh, you know, the, the sort of seeking that, that you're, that where your life is just kind of all about you and, and meeting your needs. Yeah. Um, dude, we could go for fucking four hours. Mm -hmm. I yeah. So many things The um, I'm going to, I'll try and keep it short though. Cause I know that you're a busy dude. The, um, I want to share a thing with you that I came up with the other day that I feel is really good. I want to stress test it with you, mm. the, which is the, and I, don't, I think it's just popped into my head on a run or something, but um, the, we're all familiar with the golden rule, you know, do unto others as you would have them do unto, unto you. The, I feel like for, for us, for our people, for sober addicts, for the self haters, the, you know, the, the haunted, the persecuted, the driven, it's more, um, 
treat yourself the same way you would treat another person. Like the, you know, my friend Pogue, if he was, if he was half an hour late to something, I'd forgive him instantly. And if I'm half an hour late, I'm like, you fucking piece of shit. How Mm -hmm. dare you waste another person's time? You know, the, um, to, to be generous to, to myself, um, that self charity thing is still so fucking hard. And I feel like you still struggle with it too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've actually been working on this quite a bit because that is, and has been historically like a very, uh, difficult thing for, for me to inhabit the idea that, um, I'm worthy of love and that, that love uh, need not be calibrated to any kind of achievement out in the world, right? Um, So I've been doing a lot of like family of origin work. I actually spent a week up in Portland at at like uh, this clinic uh, where I did five intense days of, of therapy around this very issue. And it's, it was fascinating to kind of deconstruct why it is that I can't grant myself um, the level of, of compassion that comes so easily in terms of granting it to another person, to your point. Uh, and, you know, a lot of it has to do with, like, how I was raised and, and programmed from a very early age. And that kind of alcoholic thing of thinking that you're worthless and a piece of shit and all of that, no matter what you do out in the world, like that's never going to change. Uh, That's a story that we tell ourselves that is false. And despite all the evidence, you know, that, that, (laughs) that verifies that it's not true. It's so difficult to kind of overcome that. And it, 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 you know, it's, it goes to the beginning of like, uh, why can't you just say thank you when somebody says ni- something nice about something that you did? Because you have this deep sense of unworthiness. Um, and, and you're trying to either mask that through, you know, drugs or alcohol or some other addictive behavior. Um, or you believe that that um, can only be earned through things that you achieve out in the world. And despite how much you achieve, how many Kindle singles you have that hit number one or whatever, it's just never enough. And so you're on this vicious cycle, you know, perpetually seeking self-acceptance and that sense of, of worthiness, but you're doing it through external factors. When the truth of the matter is, is that you're worthy of love just because you are and you are here, you know, irrespective of, you know, whatever you do out in the world. Um, and then it doesn't have to be calibrated to like any of those externalities. It's, it's, it's like, this is like, you know, like almost like a final frontier for me that I'm very inelegantly grappling with myself. So I think you're, you said you wanted to stress test that idea. Like that's interesting because that's sort of very top of mind for me right now as well. Rich, it's so funny. It doesn't matter how long it's been since we've seen each other or how long we've talked. Like, we still have the weird alcoholic brotherhood psychic mm-hmm. mind meld because I don't know if you saw me writing earlier. The What I wrote was, you don't need to do any of this in order to merit love. Mm. All the things that you do in your life, the um, from the, you know, from your accomplishments, at, you know, as an endurance 
athlete to a you know plant powered ambassador all the work you've done with you know public health basically in, you know in every it all falls under that umbrella of um health in terms of recovery in terms terms of exercise in terms of how we eat in terms of how we relate to each other and public because it's not just about your health like the work that you've done is about community it's about reaching out to other people and other people's health the and um like at what point at what point is it going to be enough you know i don't want you to stop i want you to keep going yeah um but i want you to keep going you know for the love of it for the for the magic that happens when old friends sit down to talk and bust each other's balls and you know mm -hmm. um spitball you know ideas and stuff but uh but i don't know i just i i love you so much you've had such a profound effect on my life i uh i don't want you to be driven i don't want you to mm -hmm. be doing it out of uh you know anxiety or a need to prove anything I, I think you know i don't think there's anyone out there who would say that you haven't proven yourself you know yeah well i appreciate that it is true it's that thing where where uh you believe it's that it's that illusion or that lie like yeah but that drive is why this thing exists like if i'm if if i let go of that then it's all going to come toppling down on top of me and which of course is you know not the case and I think I've, I've gotten a lot healthier on that. Um, but, you know, it's still kind of built into, you know, my whole deal, <laughs> you know. Uh, but I hear you and uh, I am doing it for the love. And that doesn't mean that it isn't hard work. Like I yeah. work hard. Everybody here at the studio, we work really hard to create something special. And I think there's, you know, you feel good when you've put effort into something. But the trick is not not falling under the spell that it is the hard work that makes it great um, but more the kind of sensibility that you're bringing to it and and i'm trying to hold that a little bit more loosely because uh, i do want to stay you know like i said at the outset like in love with what i'm doing but i appreciate you recognizing that and i'm, I'm just going to say thank you that's that's the growth it's so right hard there, right, right? <laughs> yeah i know <laughs> it fucking is horrible the, i have like 10 i got like our in my mind i've got the 10 bullet points to tell you why you're wrong and right you know, yeah you don't understand all the, of that joke it away undermine it the, sure yeah I mean, how can i like like oh you said something nice now let me let me you know comedically minimize that yeah, that's the reflex yeah. right yeah the i mean the I don't want you to, to, to stop doing what you do. It's, it's helped. I mean, it's helped me so much in the last couple of years, you know, your, your conversation with Terry Cruz, your conversation with Paul Conti, like the, just so fucking helpful. Um, you know, sort of like stop me in my tracks, but the, the way that the way in which I want to urge you forward is to give you permission to quit. Mm. That, if you if you stopped everything right now, if you pulled the plug right now, we would all still adore you, and for good reason, you know. The um, I, yeah, man, I've got like Jason and Dan. Hey, Jason, Dan, like uh, Mishka just gave me permission to quit. <laughs> what do you think about that, uh, no. <laughs> Jason? <laughs>
What did he say? They're not happy about that. Jason's like, no, no, man. You can't do that. You've got mouths to feed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Before we Thank you here. for the permission. I will file that away. I will not be quitting anytime soon, but I, uh, but thank you for the permission to do so. Yeah. The, um, before we get out of here, you want to give us a little uh, teaser about the new book? You want to give us a hint as to what you're no, working on? I'm keeping that under wraps right now. It's too early, bro. All right. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel that. The, and yeah. I, I, think that, that, I think that is the best way to write is um, it should be like a secret manifesto that you don't tell anybody about. And that's how, I mean, fuck, that's how it comes out for me. It's got to be under yeah. tremendous pressure in my head. And that's, yeah. the, that's the way I squeeze it out. Yeah, buddy. Uh, Rich. Cool, man. I love you so much, brother. Thanks. I, I know you're super busy. The, thanks so much for fucking taking time out just to reconnect here. I love you, Mishka. Uh, I'm happy you're doing this, and uh, it's great catching up. I miss you. So get your ass out to L.A. sometime, and we'll connect. In Absolutely. Analog form. Absolutely. All right, buddy. All right. Take care, Rich. Cheers. All right, man. Folks. Thank you so much for listening. I know there's uh, some million podcasts out there. We appreciate you uh, you spending your time with us. The um, if you're digging the show, if you're enjoying it, if you if these conversations uh, move you, make you laugh, annoy you, piss you off, um, please take a minute to uh, to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast. Uh, it helps us grow the show and it helps other people find it. Um, if you'd like to hear bonus episodes, song demos, just sort of uh, ranting off the cuff uh, conversations, all sorts of different uh, bonus material, writing advice, uh, personal blog posts and stuff like that, uh, go to patreon.com slash Mishka Shabali. Uh, we will be having monthly episodes up there with my mom and I answering uh, questions from readers and there's all kinds of good stuff there. Uh, thank you so much for supporting.